Good morning. Good morning, good morning. This is Spare Parts up here today. We are particularly excited to welcome Evan Sadek Kennedy on bass. He jumped in at the last minute and has been just playing his heart out, so it's really fun. We have Keith Morris on guitar, mandolin, and vocals, Chris Paul on drums, Laura Bartolucci on vocals and wind chime, and I'm Susan Peck. And we're going to do some songs about vulnerability and how to deal with being in a vulnerable spot and songs about dealing with mean people. So we're going to start with a song by Gretchen Peters called Hello, Cruel World. Haven't done as well as I thought I would I'm not dead but I'm damaged goods And it's getting late I'm a rusty hinge, a squeaky wheel At the bad end of a shaky deal Cursed by the hand of fate I'm a very stubborn girl 
Thank you. That was Laura, Bart Laura Bartolucci on vocals, a song called Hello, Cruel World. This next one is from the musical Hair, and it's a, basically a love gone wrong song. How can people be so heartless, easy to be hard?
Thank you. So this one's a song by Nick Lowe called Cruel to Be Kind.
we gather together, heartbeats singing in our ears. I think we're going to have to try that again with a microphone on. Come on over here, Kristen. <laughs> Which one's on? Red. It's on? It's on. Thank you, Kristen. We gather together. together. Heartbeats singing in our ears. Bracing for connection. Anxious for community. Opening cautious to love. We gather together. together. Minds striving, souls seeking. Brave hearts vulnerable to one another. Love, Love made flesh. We, we gather, gather together. together. We share of ourselves and our love is reflected. 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 A rainbow, a mirror, a spark, a storm. We gather together. A bulwark, a pathway, a bridge, reaching past all barriers, stronger hand in hand, braver together, wiser together, 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 together. together. I invite you to grab your turquoise hymnal and open to number 1021, the wonderful Bill Withers song, Lean on Me. And when you get to that bridge, you just call on me, whoever you need to call on, your brother, your sister, your sibling, your cousin, your neighbor, include everyone when you call on me. Bill Withers only had a brother, apparently. <laughs>
just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. If there is a load that you have to bear that you can carry, I'm right up the road. I'll share your load if you just. Good morning, everyone. I'm worship leader Kristen Satterley, and I'm so happy to welcome everyone to First Unitarian. If this is your first time here, or you've been part of this congregation for years, whether you're in the sanctuary, or the family room, or social hall, each one of you is an important part of our celebration this morning. We are glad you are here, so we want the real you to be with us today. And we know the real you isn't absolutely silent and utterly still. You breathe, you sigh, you wiggle. Do those things. Hum along to the music, even shimmy your shoulders a little. We've got the band here today, so boogie down. Small folks, we've got a playground down here if you want a close-up view of the action and a soft rug to play on. There's also an activity table in the back. And if you really want to run around, there's um, there's a family room across the hall. Wherever you want to be, we are especially glad to have you today. It is good to be together. Hello. Is this on? <laughs> How do we find the strength to rise above anger and maintain peaceful relations? That's a question we all are wondering very often lately. Uh, the story is about that. Uh, it's a Jewish story from Eastern Europe. And here's a question for you. Raise your hand if you love doing laundry. <laughs> we have someone. Oh, we have a few people. We didn't have anybody at the last service. <laughs> Very few, though, right? Think back to a time not that long ago when laundry was a task done by hand and not in your home. There's a reason it was called Laundry Day. It took all day. Uh, this Jewish parable comes to us from Eastern Europe, which I already told you, but there it is on my script. <laughs> Hannah finished washing her clothes at the village well and carried them back to her home to hang on the clothesline. 
She didn't have a front or a backyard, so the clothesline was in the courtyard that she shared with her neighbor. The clothes began to dance in the wind. Hannah watched for a moment and then went inside to begin preparing the evening meal. A few moments later, her neighbor, Sarah, was on her way out the door, off to her vegetable patch to harvest food for supper. She was late and in a hurry. She rushed out and straight into Hannah's clothes, hanging on the line, right in the middle of her path. Something snapped inside Sarah. She'd had enough. She grabbed the knife from her basket and cut the clothesline. With great satisfaction, she watched the clothes tumble to the ground and then continued on her way. Hannah didn't see any of this, but a little while later, she opened her front door to fetch a few herbs that were growing in a pot outside. She saw the clothesline and couldn't believe her eyes. She clenched her fists. She knew at once who it was. She began to walk towards Sarah's door. She was going to pound on it until Sarah answered, and then she had a thing or two to say. But just then, there was a little gust of wind. It blew the dust and leaves around in circles in front of Sarah's door. Somehow, that reminded Hannah what a difficult life Sarah had. She was a single mom, all on her own, with three hungry children to feed. Hannah unclenched her fists. She picked up the clothes, brought them back to the well, and rinsed them out. She returned to the courtyard and tied the clothesline back together, hung the clothes back up, and then returned to her dinner preparations. She hummed a little tune as she chopped vegetables and kneaded bread dough. Before long, Hannah's husband arrived home. Usually, Hannah liked to recount the details of the day, but the wind blew in just a little, just as he was coming in. And Hannah changed her mind. Instead, she sat quietly with her husband to enjoy the sunset and the gentle movement of the trees in the wind. Meanwhile, Sarah had a miserable day. She fretted while she worked. Why had she been so rash? Why had she cut the clothesline? When she returned home, she was happy to see the clothes hanging again. But once she was inside her house, she couldn't stop pacing back and forth, worrying about the unpleasant words she was bound to hear from Hannah. Again and again, she thought she heard Hannah's footsteps outside. But now, it was sunset and Hannah still hadn't come. Oh dear, she thought, I shall have to go ask forgiveness. She made her way across the courtyard, carefully moving the clothes aside that still hung on the line. She knocked a little timidly on Hannah's door. When Hannah opened it, Sarah was most puzzled. Hannah was not scowling. She did not look angry or even disturbed. In fact, Hannah had a smile on her face. 
Sarah apologized profusely. Hannah took Sarah's hands in her own as she said, today, I have learned something good. I've learned that the wind doesn't just dry clothes, the wind can drive away anger too. Let's take some time to rest our minds and our bodies. Relax into your seat, feeling your body give in to the opportunity for some moments of calm. With each breath, let a part of your body relax. Let your shoulders drop. With the next exhale, let the muscles in your face soften. If your tongue is stuck to the roof of your mouth, let it drop. Feel where you are holding tension and tell that piece of your body that it's okay to let it go for a moment. Feel the tension moving away from your body. Imagine it as a wisp of cloud brushing slowly against your skin as it floats off of you. Try intentionally relaxing a piece of your body that you don't think of often. Maybe it's your elbows. Consciously, let your elbows relax. Maybe it's the back of your knees. How does it feel to let the back of your knees relax? Invite the bridge of your nose to relax. How does that feel? What other parts of your body get forgotten? Name them in your head. Lovingly invite them to rest. Take a rest, earlobes. In the next minutes of silence, lovingly offer rest to your body.
loving spirit. We are so grateful for the people and places in our lives that remind us about love and beauty. Thank you for making it possible for our hearts to stretch and grow to fit each of them, to make space for each new loved one, each new person we meet, each new experience. Our hearts expand and shape shift. There is always more room. At the sound of the chime, let's share some of those names into this sanctuary. And don't feel like you have to whisper these names. Our prayers don't have to be whispers. Who are those people and places who are stretching your loving heart today? All these names that named aloud and held on our hearts, we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. May they feel our love and care. May they know that they are important, that their presence in the world makes an impact on us. In addition to these names, we offer our collective energy of prayer to Gary Norris, who is undergoing surgery, and to Libby King, who had a hospital stay. May Gary and Libby feel our love. Spirit of life, thank you for the crisp, cold snowstorm this weekend, just as spring is beginning, for soft, silent snowflakes, each reminders of science and magic and the beauty of nature. We offer care to our Muslim siblings entering into the sacred ancient month of Ramadan. May we all practice a deepening of spirituality and faith. Spirit of life, Help us to remain in awe of the mystery of being alive. Amen. Love be with you. So what do you do if you're a vulnerable but rising young rock pop superstar and some critic writes a really mean review saying you can't sing? Well, if you're Taylor Swift, you write a hit song about it. This is mean. You, with your words like knives and swords and weapons that you use against me, you have knocked me off my feet again, got me feeling like a nothing. You, with your voice like nails on the chalkboard, calling me out when I'm.
said you can't have Taylor Swift in worship. That was great. <laughs> so our theological theme this month is vulnerability. And if you remember back on the first Sunday, Bob preached about vulnerable people on a vulnerable planet. And we got to dedicate a sweet little new baby in the first service that Sunday. Last week, Kristen delivered a very bubbly and delightful sermon about vulnerability with time, like the vulnerability of living finite lives, the way living in time makes us vulnerable. Next Sunday, Susan and the choir are planning a special musical service about the particular vulnerability singers experienced during the pandemic and the role of love in that. When I was talking about this at the 9 a.m. service, my tongue got tripped up on Sunday and Susan and I called it Sue's Day, which has a nice ring. We'll, just, we'll go with that. <laughs> Come for Tuesday next week. And today we're talking about emotional vulnerability and jerks. <laughs> we might not think of them as jerks by the end, if I've done my job. But we're going to talk about vulnerability and people who are mean. Now, I have quoted a fair amount of Brene Brown in this pulpit. Brene Brown, the psychologist and researcher who specializes in vulnerability. And what is vulnerability? It has to do with showing up as your authentic self without a big old shell or a mask that we're hiding behind. Brown defines it as the feeling we get during times of uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure. She says this includes times when we are showing our feelings and we are not sure what people will think, and times when we really care about something and people will know that we are sad or disappointed when it doesn't work out. Uncertainty, risk, emotional exposure. I've quoted Brene Brown more than once, but I doubt I've said that the first time I heard Brene Brown's TED talk about vulnerability, my very first reaction was, nope. <laughs> I said the F word silently to myself and the word that, and the S-H word. I had just completed the path 
to ministry, the process of becoming a brand new minister of all things, and the vetting for that had been really intense, like high stakes panel interviews, a two day psychological assessment, group feedback on your performance, not to mention learning to preach, which you might have noticed is a form of public speaking, which is inherently mortifying, at least at first, for the first five years, really. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing, Kristen Famula? Yeah, you in that right now? <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> but once I made it through to the end and I was right at that point, I guess on some level I was just ready to take a dang break from feeling vulnerable. Thank you very much. But research has shown actually that the more we practice vulnerability, the more likely we are to feel a sense of belonging and happiness in life. The more we practice vulnerability, and we'll talk about when, the more likely we are to feel a sense of belonging and happiness in life. And that is like our deepest human yearning, right? Belonging, happiness. Maybe the idea of vulnerability makes you a little uncomfortable too. Like be emotionally vulnerable. Let somebody know, for example, that I'd like to be friends with them. Such a simple thing to say, but so scary sometimes, right? Or let people know that I feel awkward talking to new people, but I'd like to meet them. Acknowledge out loud when I'm afraid of failing at something and that it matters to me instead of being a perfectionist and pretending that everything is under control. What if other people think I'm weird? What if they reject me? Or worse, what if they think I'm dumb or ridicule me or say something mean? In her research, Brene Brown says that when she listened to people talk about their fear or aversion to being vulnerable, she heard the same thing over and over again. I don't want to share information with somebody and then have them use it against me. It's extremely painful, she acknowledges, to share a vulnerability or a fear with somebody only to have them use it against us as an insult, insult or as leverage in an argument or as fodder for gossip. I remember a time when I was extra concerned with being seen as dumb. It was that chaplaincy internship I did in my 20s at a men's maximum security prison in Oregon. I'm just gonna let that like sink in for a second. <laughs> the older I get, the wilder it seems that I did that. A men's maximum security prison, it had a death row. And I was in my 20s when I did this. I will never forget the feeling of passing through those steel gates when I entered the secure area. They made this loud buzzing sound when they opened and then they, they let you through into the middle between two of them and the first one would slam behind you and then the next one would open. But there was this moment when you were just inside those. And I remember the smell of that place. If anybody here has ever visited somebody in prison or worked in one or done time yourself, I think you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, this big, institutional smell of metal and concrete and human bodies living together in a place that does not have adequate ventilation for all of that. I actually don't think I would have the guts to do that internship now, to be honest. But back then, I was a lot closer to my upbringing. I had a lot of blue-collar bravado, which is a survival skill that I'll bet some folks here have as well. It's like the tougher and the more fearless you come across, the more people think maybe they shouldn't mess with you, right? 
That's how that works. And many of the men in the prison were like the men I had grown up around. The moral code of certain kinds of rough men was really familiar to me. I had been navigating it my whole life up until that point. And sure enough, I learned after I started that internship that at least at that time, no chaplain had ever been harmed in Oregon's prison system while they were on the job. Still, right, still. But back then, the thing I was most concerned about was being duped. I had been warned in the orientation that prisoners could be manipulative, and I was really afraid that one of the prisoners would trick me somehow, that they would fool me into believing a lie, and then I would then be seen as gullible or vulnerable. So maybe that fear I had had a little bit still to do with that blue-collar bravado, but also, it sounds just like the fear that Brene Brown describes in her research, right? The same fear that a lot of people have about showing any kind of vulnerability. You just don't have to come from a rough part of town to develop that mindset. If your family of origin ridiculed you when you were little, for example, that'll do it, right? It is such a harsh way to treat a little child, to ridicule them when they don't understand something or when they are hopeful or are sharing their sadness or their joy. And when we are treated that way, that causes us to put a protective shell around ourselves as we grow. In the book that Anthropocene reviewed, author John Green says, mostly I think I'm just scared that if I show the world my belly, it will devour me. And so I wear the armor of cynicism and hide behind the great walls of irony and only glimpse beauty with my back turned to it. That's such beautiful language, but it's, it resonates, I think. I wear the armor of cynicism, I hide behind the great walls of irony, and I only glimpse beauty with my back turned to it. It's like that. But do we need those shells so much? In the prison, my mentor, a Buddhist chaplain named Karuna, who was actually only a little bit older than me, she helped me see it differently. So what, she said. So what if a prisoner says something that isn't true and you take them on their word? If you discover somebody has done that, that's information about them. And as long as you don't break any rules, you're fine. She said it's about them not you. And this shifted my attention onto something I actually have some control over, right? We don't control what other people say or think about us, but we can control whether we are true to ourselves, whether we can allow ourselves to feel appropriately vulnerable, whether we pave the way in our lives for belonging and happiness or not. In the story Mia told this morning, there's Mia, Hannah is just about to chew Sarah out for snipping her clothesline when something stops her. She pauses to wonder whether Sarah's meanness is a reflection of Sarah's own self and life, rather than something personal against Hannah. And Hannah decides to let it go. Meanwhile, it eats at Sarah, who feels worse and worse until she finally decides to make amends. It's a parable, of course, this old story. The person who lashes out 
who reacts to their own feelings by aggressing against others, who is mean, creates more suffering in their self, not happiness. And the person who can differentiate their self from others, who is true to their self, that is the one who sows happiness in their life. Now, I'm thinking of a stern-faced woman I encountered in a grocery store a long time ago. This person had like major Grumpasaurus Rex vibes. Okay, just like going through the store. My son was about three years old at the time, and he was he was around my cart, but you know, meandering a little bit like little kids do. And he wandered in front of her cart, and she growled, "Watch where you're going!" Like a really mean voice. Hey, I told her, he's just a little kid. My parents would never have let me walk in front of somebody like that, she said. She was scolding me. Well, I said, you sure turned out mean. <laughs> like, perfect comeback, right? <laughs> just like, burn. It's one of those rare times where you just think of it right in the moment. I tell you what, though, it really didn't feel that great though, when I said that back. I had definitely done right by my son, defending him against an unreasonable adult, for sure. But as I walked away from her, I wondered how freaking miserable a person has to be to snarl at a child, a little child, and one that they don't even know at that. I felt uneasy about one-upping her like that. I felt like I had won at a game where the goal is to make the other person feel worse than they make you feel. Hey, like, what a crappy game. Gross. So when we encounter meanness, how should we relate to it? And can we protect ourselves? Sometimes, yes. Certainly, we can use our judgment. We can decide with whom and how much vulnerability to share. If somebody is emotionally or physically abusive towards you, get away from that person. You don't owe them any vulnerability, obviously although it is less obvious sometimes to us when we are caught in that sort of a relationship, I know. Context matters, too. In a particularly harsh social environment or work environment, we may consciously choose not to try to connect with others on a vulnerable level. That's completely valid. We don't have to put ourselves out there all the time. But in more neutral environments, Hiding behind our shells or masks as a, just a matter of habit or just being fearful about it, that can cause us to miss out on opportunities for belonging and happiness. Have you ever admired somebody because they just seemed so real, right? Just so real. Or been in a group where people were drawn to a certain person who was there just because they were just so real and like you would describe them that way. That realness comes from what? Not looking like you're striving to impress somebody, looking more interested in the people you're talking to than in how you're being perceived, right? People experience us as real when we let our guard down a bit, when we show interest instead of cynicism, when we show feeling instead of indifference. What protects us from meanness in those cases is not a shell of some kind, but the wisdom to see that another person's behavior reveals something about them and not about you. 
It's helpful to remember that pain and fear often come out looking like anger and meanness. And that when we encounter another person's sharp edges, it may very well be that what we're seeing is their attempt to mask their own vulnerability, like even from their self. I've heard this referred to in Buddhism as unskillfulness, a lack of clarity and courage in the self that results in lashing out and being cut off from others. Any sense of superiority a person gets from it is, if you think about it, also a form of being cut off from others, right? When we're superior to other people, we are not connected to them, we're not with them. And then that superiority requires defending all the time. We have to keep that up. Being true to ourselves, on the other hand, being authentic, having integrity, that is not fragile because it's just real. When another person is mean, they're not revealing that you're dumb. They aren't even revealing that you're vulnerable. You've already consciously chose to be so. It's no surprise. What they're revealing is the unskillfulness or unhappiness within their own self. The other day I heard somebody say, masks reveal what they are meant to conceal. Masks reveal what they're meant to conceal. It's like that. Here's one more thing to consider about this. Sometimes we ourselves can be mean. Maybe unintentionally, maybe intentionally due to our own unskillfulness or lack of clarity and insight in that particular moment because we're all learning all our lives, right? Even the best of us can be unskillful in this way. Sometimes we ourselves might come off as jerks, yeah? When you notice that, That is also an opportunity to practice the kind of vulnerability that can lead to greater connection, belonging, and happiness. What you do is you notice that edge, you find your edge, and just soften. I'm sorry, that was unskillful, that was hurtful. You might feel like saying, nope, right? (laughs) Even some more colorful words than that. But remember, Research shows that the more we practice vulnerability, the more likely we are to find a sense of belonging and happiness in life. Belonging, happiness, our deepest human yearning, and my prayer for you today. I almost took my glasses off. That wouldn't have been helpful at all. We are here together today to seek community, to find what we need, and to share what we have been given. One day we help one another, one way we help one another reach out to the community beyond our doors is through Change for the Future. Our Change for the Future partner for March through May is Seed to Need, reducing hunger in our community by growing fresh fruits and vegetables for donation to local food pantries to the tune of 725,000 pounds since 2008. You can donate to Seed to Need by dropping your loose change in the collection box or by using the envelope on the back of the chair in front of you and writing CFF on the envelope. We will now gratefully receive the offering. Speaking of fruits and vegetables, 
The offertory song is by the Portland, Oregon band Pink Martini. It's called Hang On Little Tomato. And it was inspired by a 1964 commercial for Hunt's Ketchup, in which the announcer talk was talking to a little tomato and it said, hang on, little tomato, stay on that vine, soak up all the sun and turn sweet and juicy, and then we will pluck you and turn you into a tasty condiment. This is a song about hope.
um, blessing our offering this morning. It is such an honor to be able to pool our resources and partner with our community members in this way. Thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you. And speaking of generosity, I wanted to let you know that uh, last quarter, the one that we just finished with Change for the Future, we were able to raise $4,600 for Street Safe New Mexico, which is who we were partnering with. Yeah. That amount is nearly twice as much as we normally raise. And so for an organization that works on a shoestring budget, you can imagine what that level of generosity is able to help us achieve in the community. So thank you so much. And we have a couple invitations for you today. As you use, we ask a lot of questions, right? Things like, what do you believe? And why do you believe that? And what values and beliefs ground your faithful actions in the larger world? Little things like that. If you want to explore these kinds of questions, Reverend Bob invites you to a four-part workshop called Creating Theology Together. The workshop begins April 1st and will help you name your UU theology and identity and to consider what our identity is together. For details and to register, see this week's e-broadsheet. And also, if you'd like to meet people and have this kind of meaningful conversation right now or after church, you are warmly invited to join us after the service at the chat tables in the social hall. We'll introduce ourselves, talk about the sermon, and get to know each other. Whether you're joining us at the chat tables, talking to your family, or just pondering, just pondering during the day today, you're encouraged to consider today's question, which Kristen has. Today's question that you can talk with people you don't know or people you know or are young people <laughs> is this. Tell about a time when you decided to let down your guard more than usual. What happened? When was the time you let down your guard? This community is so important to us and we really love our newcomers that come and visit each time. If you are a newcomer today and would feel comfortable doing so, we would love to invite you to just raise your hand so we can welcome you with applause. And even if you didn't feel comfortable raising your hand, you are still so warmly welcomed. We're really glad that you're here. And will you join me in our peace greeting? Stand up, rise in body or spirit, and place one hand on your heart, one extended out to all the folks in this beautiful room today. Heart to heart connecting. We're so glad you're all here. Our closing song today is by Michael Franti. It's one of those community songs where you're just jamming out at a big concert. So if you have your phone handy, want to go like this. This is a really good song to do that on. We also have a vocal part for you that we're going to, Laura will lead it goes, oh, hey, oh, oh, hey, oh, When you're 
in peace, friends. Go with courage, and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be.